0: The next morning, at half-past six, Xifeng was back at the Ningguo mansion. By this time, all the married women on the staff had been assembled. Not daring to go in, they hung about outside the window, listening to Xifeng discussing work plans with Lai Xiong's wife. Now that I'm in charge here, I won't promise to make myself agreeable, they heard her telling the latter. I haven't got a sweet temper like your mistress, you know. You won't find me letting you do things just as it suits you. So don't let me hear anyone saying, that's not the way we do things here. From now on, whatever it is, you do it the way I tell you to. And anyone who departs by as much as a hair's breadth from what I say is for it, good and proper, no matter how senior or how important she thinks she is. Having delivered herself of this formidable preliminary, She ordered that the roll be called. is going to pay her respects to Qian Shi, whose body is kind of lying in state at the Ningguo Mansion. She draws up to the front gate of the Ning house, and yeah, I imagine that kind of stretching from out on the street and through to the inner courtyard is an unbroken chain of servants all dressed in white, and lanterns suspended, glowing white, um, and illuminating brightly, but with an eerie illumination, mm. not exactly the same as the light you get from, say, a, a fluorescent strip light, but having that, not like a warm, pleasant light, so much as a jarring, slightly grating quality to it.
1: That, that's also, yeah, that, that's that's the, what I was imagining. That's the impression I got. And we could talk about how, just a moment later, when she finally comes to the uh, what Hawks renders the Ascension Pavilion, literally becoming Immortal Pavilion, the Deng Xian Ge in the Hawks. As soon as she caught sight of the coffin, the tears, like pearls from a broken necklace, rolled in great drops down her cheeks. Another, I, I think, another kind of um, very striking image, I thought.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Uh and again this is one where Hawks, you know has no need to depart really from the from the original chinese i mean the the original chinese is yan lei duàn xian zhu so tears like broken string of pearls
1: i was reminded of uh, Dayu being the black pearl being you know the the tears of blood and, and so it's the same association between uh between pearls and and teardrops which really translates well i i think i think we already kind of think of teardrops as pearl like that seems to be a i guess i guess like a trans cultural association
0: yeah the the, um, the the there's maybe by comparing them to pearls there's something of like a um the tears themselves are precious mm. are kind of valuable right
1: yeah so they're yeah they're uh timeless and irreplaceable maybe
0: but I also think you know, this is day thirty-five of the of the f- kind of funerary rites, and she she knew from the word go, from day one that Qin Shi had died because she appeared to her in a dream, and then there was this ringing of the bell to announce her death, and that's what woke her from the dream, and kind of straight away she was up, you know, checking on other people, making sure people knew, making sure they were kind of okay and 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 stuff, and and then. Quite shortly afterwards, she was taken into this role of kind of running the the Ning household. And it seems like she's been busy from kind of dawn till dusk every day with this. And so maybe this is, there's a preciousness, not just in the tears, but in the opportunity to mourn for her. Because at no point from A, when she discovered that Qin Shi had died, up to B, this moment when she's finally alone with the coffin, at no point in that time has she really had the the opportunity, as far as we know, to, to really sit and just allow her kind of grief to
1: kind of flow out of her. And, and so this is a really uh, humanizing moment, I, I think, for Shifeng, yeah. which is, I guess, a good, a good transition because uh, maybe the next scene is Shifeng dehumanizing somebody else. And, and so in my notes I have here, from excess to excess, yeah. funerary ritual... To ritual punishment. Large rules bought, small rules unbending.
0: Okay, so talk talk us through what happens after this.
1: Okay, so throughout this chapter, we get a lot of details about uh, the nitty-gritty managerial style of Shifang, And we also get a sense for how the household works. We're introduced to the tally system, which they use to, um, to account for how various resources are uh, distributed throughout the, throughout the compound. Um, You almost have a a mini government and a mini economy. That's they have their own monetary system. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's funny to me because you mentioned the idea of the company store before, right? uh, which, you know, just for by way of explanation and and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it used to be the case that for some jobs you would be paid instead of in money you would be paid in something called script which is essentially a a kind Mm -hmm. of token type system that you could use to buy things from a shop which happened to be owned by the company the same company that you worked for so that you would get paid in credit that could be Mm -hmm. traded in for things at the company store uh and of course the the prices of those things in credit was completely out of proportion to their their ordinary monetary value
1: and so your boss would be profiting off you, yeah. Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah. The boss pays you and then makes it back from you spending Scrip at the company's co- store. Uh, now, I'm not mm-hmm. sure whether that's true of the way that the servants themselves are paid, or whether they're paid in, in actual money. But um, certainly for the management of the internal expenses of the uh, of the Jia clan, of both, of both branches of the household, it's done through this internal token system, right? So if any servant wants to buy anything for the household, whether that's new like food or drink supplies or or cloth or, you know, a a new axle for a cart or whatever, they have to get a token and they can then trade this token in for money in order to buy whatever it is that they need. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really reminded me of that when you mentioned the company store idea.
1: And so throughout this chapter, we really get a sense for how um, meticulous... Uh, Shi Feng is, and, and it, she really has a capacity uh, beyond her years for uh, keeping track of all kinds of moving parts, and so she likes this whole, this system, this order. But she also is um, skilled at, yeah, like like sort of like having this kind of global vision of the whole uh, internal economy and what everyone is doing and should be doing. And so she already she's already divided the uh the servant class into this uh kind of absurd uh you know the almost like troops and every troop has their own very uh specialized skill that they're you know, that maybe that just be pouring tea the entire day. And you can imagine by the way how boring and how like tedious this will become. And and you know the the troops are to arrive every morning and to line up and to, there's an expect, an inspection to make sure everyone is present at the proper time. And one lady, one day, uh, is a little bit late, and, and so she's, you know, brought before Shifeng. Uh, and you can imagine, she's probably kneeling. And this is where it becomes almost this, like, this, this is part of the – so we, we already have the ritual of the funeral, and now we have basically a ritual punishment. 20 strokes of the bamboo and that's to be administered in public in front of the other servants and afterwards she has to come back and thank uh shifeng for the punishment and i I think it's also stated that she is to lose a month's wages yeah in connection with you know this extremely minor minor transgression yeah
0: oh yeah she does as well doesn't she this minor transgression well, yeah, so she says, you know, every morning up until now, she's been early. So not merely on time, but actually early. And this one time, she's been slightly late. And so she asked for forgiveness on this on this occasion. She asked for forgiveness on this one question, but Xi Feng is not willing to grant it.
1: And so, like, the way I read this is, this whole ceremony is based around bending the rule, the the, the rule of rank and propriety, with regard to uh, Lady Chinn. And now this one servant, you know, she's she's late like fifty minutes, and they can't. There's no uh, leniency for her, and so it's this incredible imbalance. Uh, and so, if you want to, you know, treat this novel as a critique of like class hierarchy, uh, this is clearly one um, moment to draw on. This is a yeah.
0: It's a particularly. Mm-hmm.
1: It's an egregious example, isn't it? Uh, and, and so. I'd be interested to hear from listeners and from anybody. I wonder if there's like a uh, kind of like a team. I've said before, I'm on, I'm on team Dayu. You know, I, I think she's the most relatable character. Is there a team uh, Shifeng? Is there like uh Shifeng stands among the, reader, the readership? I, I'd be really curious to see like, you know, if, you know, because on one hand, she really does have some highly admirable character traits. But on the other hand, she seems to be kind of uh, yeah out of control. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, up until this point, up until this chapter, I think I probably had been a uh, like a Wang Xifeng stan. <laughs> uh, or I certainly thought of her as one of my kind of more favored characters. But yeah, she really does like show this much less attractive side of herself here. Um, mm-hmm. And you're right. It's this, the kind of excessive punishment and and almost victimization of this one this one woman whose name we never learn by the way we we never learn her name she is referred to what in the hawks as the woman the offender but she's Mm -hmm. not given a name interesting and and also she's well she's in the midst of learning what her fate will be um when other servants kind of come in asking for other you know asking for tokens for this or instructions on that and the whole time Wang Shifeng makes her just wait there right. while she talks to the other servants about you know and there's also a there's like a slight kind of to me that was also somehow it struck a a, a wrong note with me you know there seemed to be a kind of not quite kind of toying with her but certainly
1: deliberately keeping her on tenterhooks throughout I-, I completely agree uh yeah I-, I the same that almost makes it worse for some reason it- it's like not only are you about to be beaten but it's it's going to be done in a perfunctory manner. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, there's a... I was just reading back through the Chinese now. Um, and yeah, she's speaking to the, the servant in question who's asking for forgiveness for having been late this once. And at that point, a servant interrupts. Wang Xing's wife interrupts looking for the... the op- you know, she she wants a chance to speak to Wang Xifeng about something. And the Chinese says, Feng Jie... 且不发放这人 王西放, i.e. Did not Feng, so release, let go this person And I think like that quite succinctly captures the spirit of the whole scene So maybe with her eyes or with a small gesture of the hand she indicates that this servant who's in trouble must stay there And I think calling her 这人 that this person in Chinese is, is, is quite a good it just indicates exactly in what low status she is held.
1: hmm So So how about we talk a little bit about um Bao Yu arrives on the scene. He uh he speaks a little bit with Shifeng. And she kind of loosens up a bit, she lightens up a bit, uh, in his presence. They clearly have a nice um kind of a, a warm, familial rapport.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we saw from an earlier chapter when the two of them go round to the Ning household together to spend the day. Um, there is definitely a kind of closeness between them.
1: And there's some details here that I, I don't think are very essential, uh, but it would be interesting. It's important to note that uh, we learn a little bit about Lin Daiyu and Jia Lian's trip in the south, right?
0: Yeah, th- th- there is just one thing I wanted to talk about really, really quickly here. Okay. Before before we hear about the, the the trip down south, which is Wang Xifeng is asking Bao Yu uh, like whether he'd eaten yet, you know whether he ate here i e at the Ning branch or back at home with with his his fellow members of the Rong household and um <laughs> Bao Yu responds to this question in chinese tong na xie hun ren chi so in the Hawks he says catch me eating here with those clowns (laughs) Uh, and i think that kind of more or less captures the spirit of it you know it's it's um he's very dismissive of the mere idea that he would eat with his his cousins in the Ning
1: branch (laughs) i thought that was interesting like uh hunran it's almost like uh those those muddleheads or, or those those muddled fools Something like that, right,
0: yeah, yeah, but it has a very slight suggestion of something more offensive, like yeah,' because Hun is kind of like mixed up, modeled up
1: i was I was wondering about that, yeah, like uh like uh like mongrels or something, yeah, exactly, exactly that, yeah I know I, I noticed that as well that's that's interesting, <laughs> I wasn't sure how to interpret that or whether that was a like a passing comment or a reflection of his distance from the the Ning people. Are, I don't know. Yeah.
0: Well, well, I guess the the people that he held in highest esteem in the Ning household were um, Qin Shi, who has now died, and her brother Qin Zhong, who is because his his association with the Ning household was through his sister rather than any blood relation of his own. Uh-huh. He, I suppose, is somewhat distant from them.
1: And he's he's here in the scene, actually. Right. He has one line about, uh, you know, how come you. Won't people try to... Uh,
0: oh, forge the, the tokens, ca- yeah. C-
1: yeah, counterfeit these tokens, uh, which is maybe... And uh, Shifeng suggests, like, well, that's because, you know, we we are high-minded here. Uh, she almost has a little bit of, a, you know, her jab has a bit of a kind of a class undertone to it. Like, you would think of that, like, poor boy kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, she says, not everyone is as crooked as you are she does have this this habit of using slightly stinging reposts to people in a in a kind of jokey way. Yeah,
1: Pepper she got the, the peppercorn uh flavor, right?
0: So so we uh, anyway, so while they're sitting there chatting, we have the arrival of um uh, a servant of her husband, Jalian, who is referred to here as Shiner, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's Jalar which is uh Zhao does have the kind of meaning of, of to shine, slightly, doesn't it? To illuminate somehow.
1: But it's again another one of these uh, slightly derogatory uh, like servant names, like uh, like Dusty and Inky and I forget the other ones. <laughs> right,
0: and so he's returned from being on the road with, um, with her husband Jia Lian and um, Lin Daiyu, um, mm-hmm. the two of whom had gone back to see Lin Dayu's father uh, Lin Ruhai uh,
1: he was very sick and has
0: now we find out died
1: yeah he, he's passed away and they're taking him to Suzhou to be to be buried mm-hmm. and they expect to be home by the end of the spring
0: The scene is interesting to me because uh, obviously the important news is that Lin Ruhai has died and so I, you know propriety I suppose would dictate that one be concerned about that and they're also about whether his daughter Lin Dayu, who's very much a part of the household, you know, whether she is kind of okay. Um, but really all that Wang Shifeng is interested in is what her husband is doing, you know, news
1: from him. She's always been pretty cold toward uh, Dayu, it seems. The first time that we are introduced to her crying is her fake crying over the death of of uh lindai's mother
0: right yeah yeah there's this very strange scene isn't there in the in the third chapter when mm-hmm. Lindayu arrives at the house having been sent up there because her mother has died and her father has decided it's better she lives with her her mother's side of the family and on arrival mm-hmm. everyone begins crying together you know in sadness at her her mother's passing and there does seem to be a certain falseness about um about those tears um, there, there was a, a bit that was interesting to me about w- the way that Wang Xifeng speaks to the servant Shiner because he's, he's come to deliver the news and then he's going to return to Jiali'an and Lin Dayu back down south. So she gives him a warning, right? So in the Hawks it says, Mind you look after your master properly away from home now. Try not to make him angry and do always be on at him not to drink too much. And don't encourage him to get mixed up with bad women. If, when you get back, I found out that you have done, I'll break your legs. And, and again, I think we're to understand this is slightly overblown language and she wouldn't literally break his legs. Although, given the preceding scene, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, she's talked about boxing someone on the ear previously uh, if they don't do what what she wants. Um, and I don't think we necessarily should understand that as... Um, an actual, you know, indication of her uh, her intentions so much as a kind of slightly overblown statement. Um I mean <laughs> but but it gives you a good indication of um her attitude towards her husband. Uh she is very concerned about him. She she cares about him a lot, but she also is quite jealous and worried about him straying from the the path of fidelity.
1: Uh-huh. And that's definitely going to be an issue later. Uh, in the book, so yeah. uh, as by by way of foreshadowing, I, I think yeah, that's an important comment to to dwell upon. Let's let's move forward. So now the the day of the funeral is now approaching. Uh, so I'm going to read another kind of interesting to get the kind of anthropological feel for these ceremonies and these rituals. Uh, so the day of the funeral was now approaching. Uh, cousin Jen took an expert in geomancy which is uh, in the original uh, yin yang sheng, with him in his carriage and drove out to the temple of the Iron Threshold, the uh, tie khan Si, to inspect the terrain and personally assist in the selection of a suitable resting place for Qin Shi's coffin. Uh, he gave detailed instructions to the monk in charge, Father Sublimitas, which is uh si kong, for the provision of a completely new set of hangings and altar furnishings for the funeral, and for the engagement of as many fashionable monks, which is uh, ming sung, as he could think of to participate in the ceremony of receiving the coffin. Uh, so there's a lot of great details there. Uh, a very an- another evocative passage, and so geomancy there. That's important to notice is uh, related to the uh, yin-yang system that even westerners. Uh, you know, have a taste for in, you know, what elements of it have uh, trickled down into popular culture.
0: I I wanted to pick up on this as well. It's interesting that he uses geomancy there because it's one of those examples of Mm -hmm. a Western concept being slightly clumsily pasted onto a quite different Chinese tradition, right? Right. Because I've normally seen geomancy applied not to the study of yin yang, but to feng shui
1: i mean there is a
0: relation though right between of course yeah of course right. um but but yeah i've normally seen because feng shui is so interested in the correct positioning uh, and juxtapositioning of things particularly in relation to the physical world you know so so you should have a, a mountain at your back and the flowing water to your east or, or 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 you know whatever i'm
1: probably mangling it terribly and and you know e- even there we have to worry about you know uh, feng shui has been sort of neutered and uh, rendered palatable for a Western audience. We imagine it as it's purely you know almost like a, a kind of a, an aesthetics in in the most that'll be that'll be worthy of a whole discussion. I think I, I wanted to go into like the original like the true feng shui, which I I think is in many ways kind of problematic. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, but yeah, I, I, your point is well taken that uh, it is really difficult to find a, yeah like a Western equivalent for these concepts, even though there, there's going to be parallels. And, and simply uh, disavowing the parallels is itself swinging too far in the opposite direction. Uh, in terms of the translation, I think uh, be, because people do have a basis of understanding for uh, yin yang, they probably should have just left that as inyang, you know, in the in the same way that you know, like, there's no there's no reason to really to translate dao uh, as the road or the way. Uh, it's because everyone has a sense for for it now. You can just say dao, and they can use their preconceptions to the best of their abilities.
0: Geomancy is essentially a Greek-derived term. Like, the geo part is 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 to do with the earth, and mancy is to do with foresight or prophecy prediction that sort of thing almost like divination really um okay as opposed to something like geology so where the the logy part represents kind of more study of the earth rather than okay foresight or prediction of it and and i guess that's kind of what his role is here right is is he has this uh expertise of the yin and yang which is of course very bound up in uh sexual dimorphism and is going to use that expertise to determine which part of the which physical location within this this Taoist temple is the best place for her coffin to be to be laid
1: a few other kind of really interesting details i want to know more about the idea of the the temple of the iron uh threshold and I wonder if that is itself related to um, the Wuxing system. Uh, I know that iron is often associated with uh, the, fall, the fall season, that is. Um, again, there's the, the emphasis on the, the, the liminal, the, the moment of the threshold, passing through the, the threshold, maybe the transition from life to non-living, from animate to inanimate matter so uh, again these are these are evocative if nothing else I, I would also want to point out that uh oh sorry
0: i was just going to yeah. say you you do have that you know in 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 a lot of chinese temple architecture at, exactly at the threshold you have not simply a door that you pass through but normally steps rising up to a door which then has a raised threshold which you have to step over and then steps descending the other side and so i just imagine that they just have a solid iron bar there as the threshold but but I guess it has a symbolic meaning as well as a literal one.
1: And I'm I'm looking ahead actually. It turns out that this this uh tie kan si is actually it appears in the name of a of, of a later chapter. so chapter fifteen is all about
0: Yeah, it's it says Wangxi Feng. Wang Feng being this character. Nong Chuan being exploiting power for personal gain, something like that. She somehow exploits power for personal gain in relation to the Iron Threshold Temple.
1: So we're going to learn a little bit more about the Iron Threshold Temple in uh, chapter 15. So that's the next chapter. Um, I, I also wanted to point out that... Uh, so what what Hawks has rendered Father uh, Sublimitas, the, the monk in charge, in the original is... Uh, uh, si kong. and we've we've seen the the connection between se si and kong before. This idea that uh, se si, like form is nothingness. s si is form. Kong is nothingness. So form is nothingness, or form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. This kind of um, this Buddhist fairly critical uh, philosophical principle, you could say.
0: Exactly, it can be form, but it can also be color. But most importantly, it can also be it has a sexual connotation.
1: Right, right, right. And so it, it's connected to desire, yeah. I
0: don't know whether that's a more modern thing, though.
1: No, I would say that it's not entirely modern, right? Mm. Uh, there, there is still that, um, yeah, this idea that, I, I think part of the, the Buddhist uh, disavowal of the senses is connected to um, humans' kind of over-attachment to not just uh, sensuous, but uh, or not not just sensual, but sensuous delight, right? And so even in English, you see this this close um, linguistic connection between form and the human form. And so actually, and, and this idea of the emptiness again, I, I did a search of the text, and uh, actually that the Kong appears like maybe like two hundred times throughout the entire novel, and it, it seems to be equally dispersed throughout. And most of the time it isn't, you know, just most of the time it is being used in this like philosophical uh, capacity. And so this is again, maybe this is a way to, to remind us that, you know, this, this whole uh, excursion is a, um, an exploration of um, the emptiness of form, you know, the or or the, the vanity of desire, self made desire, right
0: having been to the temple to find a uh, the best resting place for Qin Shu's coffin, uh, and at the same time providing them with some new kind of banners and other refurbishments, right? A new set of hangings and altar furnishings. Jia Zhen then returns home. And we kind of proceed towards the, the funeral itself, but there's just a few kind of other things to note on the way, which is we kind of get an idea of how uh, enormously busy Wang Shifeng is at this point, right? Because she's busy handling all of the funeral preparations. And then at the same time, the Dowager Duchess of Shan Guo happened to die just about this time. And so Wang Shifeng has to arrange for Lady Xing and Lady Wang to pay their visits. Now Lady Xing and Lady Wang are two of the women of the Rong branch of the Jia Clan. So Lady Wang is the wife of Jia Zhang. Mm-hmm. The mother of Jia Baoyu, our protagonist, and then through an entirely separate familial branch, the aunt of Wang Xifeng, and Lady Xing is the the wife of Jia Sha, so uh, she's a sec- essentially the, the the sister-in-law of Lady Wang, and so they're kind of both you know important women of the of the Jia household, and so they therefore have to make this appearance at uh, a separate funeral of another noblewoman, and we also learn that another kind of royal or noble figure. The princess of Xi'an has had her birthday, so she has to send presents to her. Uh, it continues, she had to write to her parents and get things ready to send, the, send to them when her elder brother Wang Ren returned with his wife and children to the south. And when on top of all this, mm-hmm. Jia Lian's young sister Ying Chun fell ill and needed doctor's visits and medicines every day, it was Xi who had to puzzle over the diagnostic reports, discuss the patient's symptoms with the learned physician's and decide on the relative merits of rival prescriptions. So you really get the, the sense that here that kind of steam mm-hmm. is shooting out of her ears.
1: Yeah, you could imagine that she's maybe heading toward a burnout, right? I just think there's a good bit here that kind of describes it. So she was far too busy
0: to pay much attention to eating and drinking and could hardly sit or lie down for a moment in peace. When she went to the Ningwa mansion, she was followed around all the time by people from the Rongguo mansion, and when she went back to the Ronguo house, members of the Ninguo establishment would trail after her. So <laughs> you, really, you can really see what, what, um, what's going on. Um, I think we should probably proceed to the, the funeral procession itself, right? Mm-hmm. There's, I think, one thing that's... Well, a couple of things that are worth pointing out. One is that there are these, these four princes, or rather the grandsons of four princes that attend. And we were puzzling over whether these were princes of actual places, in the sense that we might know it in in kind of the European style, or whether they're princes in a ceremonial sense, so that the, their, their princedom is not linked to any physical territory. And I feel like it's the latter, because they have... there was Dongping, uh, Nanan, Xining, and Beijing, and of those i think only one of them i could trace to a real place which is xining which is currently a city in qinghai province in the west of china but but i don't think any of them is actually meant to be this is just this is this is i think somewhat speculative um but because they're named after the four points of the compass dong east nan south xi west and bei north and then each one of them incorporates a character into their name that means peace or something mm-hmm. to do with it. So dong, ping, ping being one of the common words for peace. Nan, an, an again, being peace, ning being peace, and jing being kind of peaceful, tranquil. Um, so we think that these are kind of ceremonial titles basically granted in some way by 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 the emperor. Mm-hmm.
1: And so maybe they're like the princes of the four peaceful quarters. That's a general impression, is it not?
0: Yeah, I, I guess the idea being that, you know, under the ruling dynasty, there is peace everywhere in mm-hmm. all four corners of the of the compass.
1: And so for for our purposes, the most important is the Prince of Beijing, which I mean, just listening to it, it sounds a bit like the northern capital, but it's a different Jing. It's again, it's uh, Jing is in peaceful or tranquil. Exactly, exactly.
0: So it's not Beijing, the city that we, that we know. It's Beijing, the northern piece. Right. We haven't really come across this guy before. It says here, of the original holders of these four titles, the Prince of Beijing had been the highest in imperial favour by virtue of his great services to the crown. The present holder of the title, Shui Rong, was a youth still in his teens a young man of great personal beauty and a modest and unaffected disposition so i don't know how you pictured him but i imagined him as kind of uh, a bit kind of dashing i suppose
1: yeah that's my impression as well and his name uh Rong, means literally like dissolvable in water oh ah. oh so it's that wrong is it so i i don't know if that means uh maybe the uh his like affectionate he melts in the mouth. I, I don't know if that's the implication. <laughs> <laughs> He's like an Eminem. I, I don't know, but you could you could imagine that would be a good name for a dashing prince. Um, and we're going to learn that actually, Bao Yu is uh, rather taken with him, and and he with Bao Yu.
0: So, the funeral procession is proceeding. I'm imagining that it's traveling down roads, and the roads. The sides of the roads are lined with various with people and with presenting some sort of um, condolences. I suppose uh, at this point the the Prince of Beijing um, arrives. I guess by coming himself, it's you know not merely sending um, a kind of delegation but actually attending in person. Uh, we can see that he's done them a great honor. Uh, and I mean, not just that, but we we read that he in fact had to kind of rush to be here so it says at four o'clock that morning the prince had had to be present at the imperial palace for the early levee but as soon as his business was over he changed out of court dress and into mourning and after getting into his great palanquin was borne through the streets preceded by gongs and umbrellas of state to the place where his funeral bower had been erected it's not merely that he's kind of deigning to or condescending to attend but that he actually you know actively wants to 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 kind of come along
1: which i i would take as an, an indication that uh the the ning household and the the jack clan more generally still possesses tremendous influence and respect yep absolutely uh,
0: and so the thing that he's most interested in is uh jia
1: baoyu right is is the boy the mythical boy born with the jade in his mouth you know so i think
0: this is a good idea just to recap what the what the story is there right so so we begin the story with this uh mythical story of uh nuwa who's a the kind of a goddess of chinese mythology and because of it's not expressly mentioned in the book, but because of fighting between other gods, part of the sky has fallen in. And so she needs to build a new column uh, to hold up the sky. And she chooses all of these blocks of stone from uh Ching Shan, is it called? Uh feng. Green Sickness Peak, it's called in the in the hawks. So she carves thirty six thousand five hundred and one blocks of stone, I believe. And she uses all but one of them. And this poor leftover stone uh, Mm. possesses kind of magical qualities. It's able to transform itself into different shapes. It's able to kind of pass through time and space uh, in a way that is quite kind of mystical and surreal. And we understand that it has a kind of autonomy or life of its own. It has very much uh, its own will. Anyway, when our protagonist, Jia Baoyu, is born... He's born with a small mm-hmm. piece of jade in his mouth. And, you know, this is this is really the stuff of kind of myth and legend, isn't it? You know, uh, people born with things in their mouths or animals born with things in their bellies, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so he's marked out from birth as a special boy. And so it's this that the the Prince of Beijing is referring to.
1: Um, and Bao Yu is delighted because he had heard, uh, I, I guess, uh, the Prince of Beijing's reputation precedes him and Baoyu had heard that he was as handsome as he was clever uh, and also like Bao Yu, he's the kind of person who doesn't let uh, status and rank get to his head you know and so he, he had the same sort of generosity that uh, Bao Yu imagines himself possessing.
0: Yeah well, well we've seen that in a previous chapter when he and his friend Qin Zhong are attending the clan school even though their social status is extremely different, despite mm-hmm. their friendship, Yu insists on them just referring to one another on friendly terms rather than using any kind of official titles.
1: I, I mean, Baoyu is even, in a, in a strange way, envious of uh, Qin Zhong's lack of status because he imagines uh, Qin Zhong's being more authentic and direct on account of this. Difference and so he, I guess long story short, uh, Bao Yu is extremely kind of uh, status conscious, and he's trying to navigate um, how he is himself, you know, to interact or how to proceed or how to act in the world given his his place and position and privilege and power.
0: And that is more or less where the chapter ends. So you know he does the classic cliffhanger. If you wish to, if you wish to know how it proceeds, you must read on. And that's, I guess, where we'll leave today's episode as well.
1: Okay. What What do you think, having gone through the chapter now, you know, in in some greater detail? What's on your mind?
0: Well, I've done a lot of thinking about Wang Xifeng, uh, while reading this. You know, I've I've gone back and and revisited the the two poems about her in in chapter five, that kind of grand dream sequence. We don't have to go into it right now, but I did um, I did think back to that because the poems there they really suggest that she. Will be kind of entangled in or brought down by her own cleverness, her own intelligence. And know? that
1: actually leads into the uh, the subtitle for the next chapter, where in the Hawk's translation it reads At Watermoon Priory, Shifeng uh, finds how much profit can't be procured by the abuse of power, and Qin Zhong discovers the pleasures that are to be had under the cover of darkness. Um. So that sounds pretty uh, spicy stuff. That yeah. sounds pretty interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to to working through that. Um, so how about we how about we end it there? Uh, thanks everyone for listening. This has been another exciting installation of rereading the stone. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, we'd love to hear feedback, uh, comments, questions, suggestions. Uh, you can find us at twitter at re stone we also have a facebook page and a reddit page so um uh, thanks for listening and we will talk to you next week Buh-bye. bye-bye
0: bye-bye